0: My back's killing me, so I'm going to sit down. I'm glad you're sitting down, because my sermon title is Women and Booze. <laughs> Women and Booze. It was a uh, catchier, tighter than widows and alcohol. So, uh, And you'll remember at least that from today, widow and booze. Um, it might also get me out of future sermons if <laughs> Phil's color doesn't change here pretty soon. Uh, we'll start off in prayer. Jesus, help my words be taken as you've intended, uh, even through my inadequacies, uh, make them beneficial to your kingdom and this church specifically. Uh, We'll be reading out of 1 Timothy 5, and we're using the English Standard Version if you want to keep up. Instead of reading the whole chapter uh, and then commenting as I've done in the past, I'm going to take a few verses and comment. Uh, Dig into them as we go. Uh, We will read all 24 verses, though, by the end. Instructions for the church. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. I must thank God. Uh, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters... In all purity. This theme of our church being a family is uh, pretty strong throughout this chapter. This might not be how some of our families operate. Uh, If I disrespect my parents, siblings, etc., I may fail the church as well. That's why our church family is sometimes imperfect. But we're here to learn this stuff. And by sticking with our church relatives through good times and bad, we become better in our homes, at work, in our our relationships. Um, Talking about rebuking here. Rebuking, uh, telling somebody they're doing something wrong, uh, isn't a fun thing to do. It's probably one of the worst jobs um, as an elder, as a parent, uh, husband, just in our life in general. It's not always a godly thing to do either, though if done the wrong way, or in many cases, if done by the wrong person. It can do a lot more damage than good. Rebuke is a strong word. And very rarely is it needed. I think, it, think of it more as a last resort. Positive encouragement should always be the first step as long as the offense isn't severe and isn't habitually repeated. I may not ask... I may not be the person to do the rebuking at all. Um, If it's an older man than myself, I'd ask someone like Phil uh, to step in. Or if it's a woman, I might ask an older woman. um, Or one of these people who qualify as true widows, which we'll talk a little bit about here, uh, to step in. It appears that there was an actual position in the church for widows who qualified Uh, We'll get into that in a little bit here in the next few verses. I have to admit, I don't understand everything there is to know about true widows. Phil does, but he didn't share it all with me. Uh, I guess it's a little complex. Uh, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So the family is obligated first uh, to care for the widow. Then the church family. A lot of the church's responsibilities today have been taken away by our government. The church's role um, when this was written was to take care of the physical needs of widows. And they were different back then, Uh, making sure they got food to eat and that they had shelter. Uh, When Paul wrote this to Timothy, the way assets um, were passed down after death was different than they are today. Um, When a man died, his property didn't go to his wife, uh, but rather to his children. First it went to his son. If he didn't have sons, uh, it went to the daughters. And if he didn't have children at all, it went to the husband's family. So it would stay in the family name. If the children or the widow's father died, uh, or the father's family uh, refused to care for her, as was customary she could be in a world of hurt right after his death right away there goes the land there goes all the support uh, today in our culture a wife inherits at least half of the estate automatically uh, hopefully get some life insurance uh, receive social security etc stuff they didn't have back then uh, so what's the responsibility of government What's our responsibility? If my children run into hard times in the future um, and they're tempted to go apply for food stamps, um, is it my responsibility, if I'm able to, to step in and take care of them, or should I let this system take care of them? Or if the same thing happens to my parents, should I lay that responsibility on you, the taxpayer? Maybe I'm having the same hard time myself, and I can't help them. So there's no hard-fast answer here. Um, just exploring the nuances. On one hand, we've already been paying 15% of our wages to Social Security. Somebody say, well, it's only 7.5%. No, it's 7.5% out of your check, and then your gut, your employer pays another 75 on your behalf. 15%. So that's awful tempting to say it's not my responsibility here because I've already given, you know, uh, and maybe that's valid in some cases. Notice I'm not giving any answers here. Uh, it's not an easy topic. Maybe it'll make a better discussion than it would a sermon. Verse five says, "She who is truly a widow, <clears throat> left all alone." has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This is part of the definition of true widow. So it's going beyond, uh, she just lost her husband, as you can see. Um, But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach verse 8 here throws in a lot of conviction following along you can do a whole sermon I think on verse 8 and some people have Uh, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever that's very strong are we taking care of our family? We're we working for him. When I studied this last sentence, it applies terribly to my family. <clears throat> a 38-year-old brother, unemployed, refuses to get a job, feeding off my parents. He says he's worse than an unbeliever. I don't say that to degrade him, just say that to, you know, it's painful. I pray that he gets his act together, because it's, it's his soul this is his heart today's youth stealing from their families to pay for drugs we see that all throughout our community now they're not giving to their family they're taking it's worse than an unbeliever children who have the ability to care for their aging parents yet refuse to do so worse than an unbeliever I have to say I'm guilty of that a lot, too. I see my parents' needs sometimes, and it's like, oh, you, know, you want to make them stronger by not helping them. So, you know, It's like, <laughs> maybe that's not the right answer. Uh, Paul's saying this might be an area of re- rebuke. We might need to take a hard stance here because families are falling apart. When you don't care for your family, it teaches your children not to care for their family and in just a few generations. It's a horrible mess. If the family absolutely won't help, the church family needs to. Verse nine through eleven tells us how tells us the qualifications of a true widow. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Having been the wife of one husband and having reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality. she has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted. Has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger women for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they may desire to marry. And so incurred condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. That one I had to wrestle with a little bit. Uh, this isn't saying that a woman's desire for a husband uh, or intimacy is wrong. It's saying that if you've lost your husband and you make a decision to now live for Christ and dedicate yourself to him alone, uh, that perhaps through the surface, perhaps through service to the church... If you're under 60, those physical desires or emotional needs uh, may be harder to overcome. So it's better for younger women to marry again. That's my understanding, anyway. Verse 13 says, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. saying what they should not so I would have younger women marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander this isn't a problem just for widows or even just for women Uh, this is all of us we all do it Paul says to keep yourself busy so that you won't have the time to be tempted to sit on the phone for hours and bad talk other people or text message nowadays, I guess. Uh, Steve used an acronym in a sermon uh, a few weeks ago. It's the word "think." T H I N K. Think. think. Any time we talk about someone else, think. Is it true? T. Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? And a really big one: Is it necessary? Oftentimes, it's not necessary. Uh, or is it kind? Think. True, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind. Make yourself busy so we don't have to have those conversations at all. Verse 15. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This ends the widow section. Glad I could clarify all this for you. Um, the bottom line is, uh, I need to take care of my family, not just a widowed mother. Oh, I need to take care of my family. Uh, it's my responsibility if I'm able to do so. In my mind, the Social Security I pay is for my own profit. Okay? Should I need it in the future, uh, if it... It doesn't justify me pushing the needs of my family onto society. That's just me. Uh, if they can s- somehow get back what they paid in times of need, uh, that's okay, too. But many times, it isn't enough. If you ha- have Social Security or have uh, been on it, uh, it's, it's miserable. Um, so I'm still on the hook for whatever I can do, right? <coughs> Verse 17 changes the subject a bit. It says, Let the elders who rule be worth, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and a laborer deserves his wages. We've talked about this several times, so I'm not going to get into double honor for elders or how they're to be paid. Um, we've touched on that uh, just recently. It's important to make sure that the needs of those working in the church uh, are met. Be they widows, elders, uh, pastors, office workers, whatever the case may be. uh, They're part of our church family. They're worthy of the wages they get. Thankfully, I have a job. I don't need to take a check from the church. Uh, And also, Nate, Derek, Ronnie. Um, If you're not familiar with Wellspring, Phil is the only uh, paid elder a full-time elder, and he doesn't take a big paycheck. Another very important consideration about elders is here in verse 19. And this whole thing skips around different topics, so don't blame me for it. (laughs) Um, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality a friend I grew up with since since third grade um, Brian's his name Uh, he eventually started working for the church he became a pastor of a small church uh, in Illinois, one that my dad used to pastor. So it was kind of, kind of neat. At first, uh, spent several years there. He moved there from a lead pastor to a youth pastor at a large church, and several years later, he moved to a mega church to be the youth pastor. You know, thousands of people. At the peak of his career, he got caught up in pornography eventually eventually uh, had an immoral relationship with another youth leader, a woman, in the church. When the church found out, they were horrified. Something like that can just wipe out a church. With a word of witnesses, and with the admission of my friend Brian, they announced it publicly in church. Brian wrote a letter of admission, uh, apology, shame, and went away. He eventually lost his wife and three kids to divorce. Almost lost his life to suicide. As hard as that was on the church, the positive side, was that a couple thousand people saw the rebuke, saw that it could happen to the best of us, and it still stands as a warning to everyone that knew him uh, what this path leads to. It starts with our thoughts and it snowballs into an avalanche. But Paul's warning here was to be sure. Don't take the word of one person, gossip spreads way faster than truth does. Another pastor I know was said to have an improper relationship with a woman. There were all kinds of rumors going around and there was a secret rebuke amongst a lot of the church members going on. When it was all said and done, none of the rumors were true. The pastor had been counseling the woman and her husband and continued the relationship long after he was run out of the church. A couple decades later, those responsible for the lies came forward and apologized, but it had already changed the course of his life. Verse 22. Part of this message is more directed to Timothy. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. This is the part that was directed towards Timothy. Uh, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy's health wasn't great, but he didn't want to drink, probably uh, for fear that it might make others stumble. This is something Paul warns about several times. But Paul, I think, is being merciful and saying, Take your medicine, take some wine for your stomach. Paul knew that Timothy didn't have a problem with drinking, he had a problem with his stomach. That's why I say this was written specifically to Tim. He's obviously not saying this to all of us, as we don't all have frequent ailments. Not the ones he's referring to, the stomach. Uh, And I personally feel this could apply to other types of medications we have today. He obviously didn't write about Tylenol and whatever else. Uh, Anti-inflammatories, painkillers, antibiotics, etc. Some people are addicted to alcohol and shouldn't touch it you don't know me well, I have Crohn's disease. Uh, when it's bad, the right amount of wine makes my makes it better. Too much alcohol makes it a lot worse. This is very well could have been what Timothy was suffering from, and why well uh, and why Paul specifically said use a. Little wine. Today we have pharmacists to tell us exactly how much is safe to take and what isn't safe to take. Some people are addicted to Vicodin, to Percocet. Huge epidemic now. It's becoming so bad that doctors are refusing to prescribe it to anyone for anything. I've got three bulge discs in my back. Here I'm complaining about everything today. Huh? Uh, I break a perk set in half and take one when I can't work through the pain. It doesn't take all the pain away because I only take half of one. But is it for everyone? Absolutely not. A good friend of mine got addicted to painkillers after a surgery. His brother still works for me. got to the point where he was stealing from his family to buy pills. Things snowballed for quite a while. When the police finally caught up to him, he put a bullet through his head. Killed himself. My brother-in-law killed himself on prescription drugs. A lot of us have family friends that this is affected. So Paul isn't giving us permission to do these things. It's on an as-needed uh, basis. Is alcohol sin? Not in itself. But its use can be. Are painkillers or pain other prescription drugs sin? Not in itself. But its use can be. Maybe I can tie this into how we care for our family. Uh, Both of my grandmothers were against alcohol, 100%. Never been drunk a day in their life. I don't know if they ever had a drink a day in their life. Both of them lived to be 90 years old. On their deathbeds, both of them were on high doses of morphine. Which, if you've ever had it... uh, a lot stronger than any drink you can have. I know Paul's point here wasn't to justify alcohol as a recreational drug, but to say, use what God's provided you. If you can do it without sinning. He's merciful. He doesn't want us to suffer. Thankfully, God's given us all kinds of medicine." I sure would want to go into surgery with a glass of wine, would you? That's pretty rough. Or having a tooth out without Novocaine or whatever. It's important not to use Scripture to justify misuse of any substance. But it's equally important not to call these substances sin under all circumstances. Verse 24 and 25 close this out. The sins of some people are conspicuous. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not. Cannot remain hidden. The good will eventually shine through. Let's pray. Lord, don't let my works become sin. I walk a fine line between helpfulness and helplessness. Be it through taking care of myself or through helping others, my family, my church family. Show me what my responsibilities are to my parents, to my children, to my wife, to my church. Give me a heart of discipline, motivation to work for my family for as long as I'm physically able. Give us all direction to know what you want us to do down to the very last detail. You've given us so much here in this country, in this church. Help us to know who to share with. Amen.